how are you? I'm After- well, Lynn. Happy. It's November now. Yes, it's All Saints Day. Yay. Or and then uh, that's all, all Hallows Eve is the eve of the Hallow Day of All Saints Day. Right. And then tomorrow is All Souls Day. I know Day of the Dead. Did you? Yes, less more. My family is watching Coco as we speak. Oh, that's one of my favorite movies. Makes me cry every time, mm-hmm. especially if you had a grandmother that you were close to. Oh Boiler. my God, just wail. We'll talk Halloween in just a moment. Then we'll talk Synchronic around minute five. Then the movie His House at 13 minutes. Then our guest, Carrie Houck, we'll talk to her around minute 20 about the Tennessee Williams Festival. My Octopus Teacher around minute 37. Totally Under Control around minute 42. Memories of Murder around minute 44. A preview of The Witches at minute 52. The Passing of Sean Connery around minute 54. The Mandalorian around minute 59. And then what's coming up, including St. Louis International Film Festival, around one hour did you have a nice halloween i did i had a nice social distancing party with teenagers and they were spread apart watching studio ghibli movies and the great pumpkin charlie brown well that's wonderful yeah it was great i always miss seeing the little kids because i live in an apartment so i don't get trick-or-treaters and last night i was driving through the streets of st louis when some of them are blocked off and have a neighborhood parties and it was cute to see they weren't supposed to be doing that this year well <laughs> there were a couple in the city Mm-hmm. And some neighborhoods looked like they were having like little tiny neighborhood things like the the people that really went all out to have uh, a yard decoration. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of shoots. Yes. Well, candy shoots, uh, pandemic candy shoots. Uh, our neighborhood has about 40 kids on it. So what we did, and I did not announce this beforehand, we did it the 30th. We did it on Friday night for our just our block. And so everyone came out and they had prepackaged candy and it was done. So the kids on our block got their candy and then they, our block was no, normally there'd be 300 kids on our block. There were probably five to 10 groups on our block last night. And that's it total for the entire night. Yeah, I heard that it it was way lower. Now, some people did Halloween like Easter eggs. Like they had bags of candy in the backyard and the kids had flashlights. Oh. So they went and searched for them like Easter egg hunt. I heard that. Well, I also heard of a friend of mine in Denver. She has a tree in front of her house and she tied treats. So it was the Halloween tree. So. Ah. Ah, well, that's really clever. I saw a couple of people with card tables mm-hmm. on their front plate, yeah. and then they sat, and then the kids came up and right. got the stuff, so contactless. Right. So I think that was the whole goal of yesterday, but, you know, it was fun. And our friend Megan Ketcherside from the Fox dressed up as Wednesday Adams. She looked great. You can find her on the Instagram. And I'm like, oh, it's Wednesday Adams. She's a good-looking Wednesday Adams, too. Oh, I need to look up Megan. I saw that our friends Lori Mack and Alan Knoll, they mm-hmm. had a shoot in their front yard. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, because they have their house in Dogtown is above, and so having the pandemic candy shoot is perfect for their house. Uh-huh. It's it's nice. Ours, My house is not uh, uh, cohesive. Uh, conducive to that and so we just had a for, for the 30 groups of kids we had a table and individually packed candies from charm me sweets who are they are in south st louis they were in lindenwood then they're in south st louis and they're going to be moving again because of rent so i would love to find out where charm me sweets they are an old-timey fashion candy place i love those places 
I hope I hope people stay in business. I know there's more closings. Mm-hmm. And then on the chain front, Applebee's and IHOPs, we're going to see less of them. Well, I have not. My daughter used to love Applebee's when she was like a little kid. I think most kids do. I'm like, yeah. why there? <laughs> I didn't understand it, but she grew out of that. And I have not been to an IHOP. The last time we went to the IHOP was, was uh, I know they had the mummy pancakes last week. But last time was when they were a burger place for like a half a second. That was the last time I was in Itaipu. I know because I think their parent company is somebody. Somebody International House of Pancake Ish. Yeah, I uh, worked for them as a hostess one summer during college. Really? Yes, and I learned how to put the butter in the between the. You know, I would miss. I would forget to put butter on people's pancakes. <gasps> yeah, that's me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 yeah, talk, let's back let's talk to film. film. Um, you've seen a lot of movies this week, and I have only seen of the films that we're talking about. I've only seen one. I have seen the movie that starts. You think it's going to be a drug thing, and it turns out to be a science fiction thing. It's called Synchronic. I know. I really enjoyed this. I didn't think I would either. And I, I did. I like the chemistry between Jamie, Jamie Dornan, Dornan and Anthony Mackie. And Anthony Mackie. And, 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 and you forget that Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie can do a lot of things. He can be an amazing heavy. He can be a superhero. And he can just be a regular Joe, which he is in this movie. Anthony Mackie is a multifaceted actor. I love it when he plays really dark, though, because he is a badass looking mobster or gangster or whatever. But I really enjoyed him in this. I know. Uh, this was different. That's why it caught me by surprise. First of all, as you know, and I've said many times, mm-hmm. I love movies that immerse us into a different world, an atmosphere, and a location. And New Orleans is great for that. But this isn't the Mardi Gras, Bourbon Street, touristy no. New Orleans. This, this is, is a New Orleans scene. we never see. Not right. even like Treme. This is more of a – this is more um, – you don't really see because New Orleans has landmarks, and one of the weird things about New Orleans is all their uh, all their cemeteries are above ground because it's swampland, right. and they actually touch on that in this because ew, it, it's it's creepy, but it doesn't start. You don't know what kind of we're telling you what kind of movie this is. If you go into this movie blind, like our friend from Real Spoilers. Kevin, who does not see trailers or anything, if you go into this, you don't know what kind of movie you're going to get for at least 15, 20 minutes. I know. The first part of it really hooked me. And uh, I haven't heard of these directors, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. And uh, this is their fourth film. And apparently they trademark in having more depth to their sci-fi horror Mm -hmm. movies. They uh, have relationships. And this is why this buddy... Uh, relationship between these BFFs, Jamie Dornan and uh, Anthony Mackie, they play paramedics. Mm-hmm. And most of their night is is going around giving Narcan to mm-hmm. overdoses. ODs, yeah. Uh, the, this uh, this Justin Benson, they did the V, they did that movie VHS. Ah, that was that was the movie that I first heard about them. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, no, I'm glad you said that because I they keep talking about the endless. Oh, they made the endless, and I've never seen or heard of the endless, so I need to look that up. But I really like these guys' style because at first it just hooks you in because it's a designer drug. Well, first the the like 
if you're talking like uh, a TV show, the cold open before the credits is this weird drug trippy where you don't know what's going on. You, this this random couple uh, takes this synthetic drug because you know before, of course, you, you're an omnipresent movie viewer. You see them take this drug and then they start tripping and you don't you just think it's in their head. And it is not necessarily in their head. And it, it, it sets up a weirdness. But you don't know if this is going to be a, an anti-drug. Well, these guys OD. And these are, this, is a, this is a tale about opioids. No, it makes a left turn and goes very sci-fi right after that. Oh, I know. Because this drug is obviously, you do feel like you're tripping. You know, it's really trippy. Well, it's killing people. And they keep finding the uh, uh, syn- synchronic, which is the name of the drug. They the keep finding them at crime scenes. Right. The little package with the S on it. Mm-hmm. And they start to figure, what is going on? Because these are not just ODs. Mm-hmm. These are gruesome grisly deaths. Why did you stab your for- boyfriend? And then since the other person is also on a drug, they, they're not getting any straight answers about them, which is weird because some people, oh, all right, I've, ju- I've just figured out what happened because they're standing at different spots. And so each of them has a different trip. It, the rules of Synchronic are very uh, specific yet arbitrary at the same time. So you have Stevie played by Anthony Mackie. He's the ladies' man. And you have Dennis, who's married and has two kids, uh, a baby, a late-in-life child, and a teenager. Yes. And so uh, Dennis and Stevie are different points in their lives. And then there's this weird part about Stevie has uh, medical issues, which makes his choices much more believable because once you know that you're having these things going to you're more likely to take silly risks and so stevie makes all these choices he's like i'm going to stop this drug and he he goes and buys up the entire supply but he also meets the person that created it which i thought was a little but but he's trying to get rid of the drug as well right because he knows what it can do right and i'm not going to say uh, the circumstances that happen when you take this drug, but it just gets weird. Well, it's it's a time travel for seven minutes, supposedly. Well, then you just told everybody what it's about. <laughs> well, but that, that's okay. That's fine. Well, that's what it is, but then it doesn't necessarily always work how it is. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't enough. work exactly how you think it would work out. Right. Because... Right. As I said, a lot of the rules are set in stone and arbitrary at the same time. Right. Well, then it gets personal because Jamie Dornan's 18-year-old daughter, Brianna, Brianna. is at this frat party where they're all taking it. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, she's played by Ali Ionides. She I- was on she was on Parenthood on NBC. And, and she uh, she and Steve, who is Anthony Mackie, are close. And that's one of the things that propels him to find out what's going on with this drug because he wants to find her. And all the relationships in this are complicated. Yes. And this movie was, this movie is more than a year old. This was, uh, that premiered at Toronto Film Festival last September. I know. So 13, 14 months ago. I know. They're all they're all cleaning out the shelves, right? So to speak. But this one, when I found that out, I was really surprised it hadn't come out. Well, I, it seems that 
no, there's no set plan of what they're doing because all these movies came out in film festivals, and I'm guessing that some that every single one that was finished, studios are just snapping them up trying to get more product out. This one's in theaters right now. Right, it's a very low budget studio that we got it from. And it's t- nice and tight. It's 96 minutes. Yeah, I like that about it too. And I just, I really like the way they shot it. I like the story. Uh, it had, um, uh, it just keeps you guessing. Uh, I What I said on the radio the other night was, you think it's going one way and then it goes another way. So you're not really sure where it's going because you're always kept off guard. And I think, I think the, I think it is set up for an ending that is not necessarily what you think it's going to be because I thought the ending can go could have gone one of two ways and they leave it ambiguous on purpose. I mean, I don't think they're going there's going to be a sequel on this. I love the fact that there is there there is an ambiguity ambiguity about the end of this and I am I am happy about that. Yeah. So, I gave it a B. I liked it. I liked it way more than I thought I would. And then there's two movies. This is the time where we see a lot of mystery, horror, mm-hmm. thrillers, suspense. And like all the Blumhouse stuff. Right. Which is getting big push. Mm-hmm. Huge push now. And um, so, I was really happy. Um, I was able to preview the Netflix movie, His House, which started... Friday, mm-hmm. and I encourage everybody to see it because it's so different. It's very original. It premiered in Sundance, but Netflix bought it before Sundance. Oh, really? So they didn't have to have unseen. A, I know they didn't have that to have a bidding war. Bidding war. Okay, first time writer director Remy Weeks. He's mm-hmm. British. Mm-hmm. He wrote this haunted house story, but it's not that typical gothic rundown house that's got. You know, that's haunted. Mm-hmm. We've got all these ghosts. This is a couple that have fled South Sudan, war torn South Sudan. Wumni Maska, too. She's British actress. Uh, she has a BAFTA. She was, uh, American audiences might know her from, she was on the fifth series of Luther with Idris Elba. She is so good. And then Soap Derisu. Oh, see, oh, you practiced all of these because yeah. you had to say them on yeah. the radio. Well, I was in on a, a Q&A with them, too, okay. which was really interesting. And he is he's a he's another British actor. He's a, like Shakespearean trained. Right. I think those two are going places. And he, um, he also played quarterback on a football team in England. He is. As, and I'm sorry, American football. Aha. Actual quarterback. American football quarterback on a team in England which is weird. Well they are mesmerizing these two together. They play they so they're this terrorized couple from Sudan and they're on a boat to England mm-hmm. and a tragedy happens. All right, and there's also Doctor Who Matt Smith, the right. the 11th and, Doctor. And, but who is totally chameleon in this. Really? Yeah, it's very It's another short form. movie too. Yeah. And uh so they have this tragedy happen while they're en route to England and the government the British government sets him up in government housing, and it's drab and dingy. It's and, government housing. And, yeah. And so they're there, 
And, you know, first of all, the you know, it's typical. The lights start flickering, and then there's gaping holes in the wall, but then they close up. So what kind of portal is this? And then you get some jump scares, and then you think they're not alone. There's a spirit in this house, mm-hmm. and what is this spirit, and why are these poor people tormented? So is it because they're Nigerian refugees or is it is it because there's put the government put them in this haunted house? Well, you'll just have to see. Aha. Uh-huh. Because I can't really get a giveaway. So these refugees are struggling to adapt to this country, this new life, mm-hmm. and they have a set of rules they have to follow, which where Matt Smith comes in, he's their Handler. He's their caseworker. Yeah, their caseworker. And he, 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 there's a line in it that says, We hope you're one of the good ones, which is kind of racist. Or it, is, is he overtly it, racist? Well, the government is just, they're, they're, how about they're, uh, they're jaded. Okay. They're cynical and jaded. Oh, he's a guy that has seen a lot of these refugees come and go. Right. And so they're in this house and they're very happy to not be in South Sudan, obviously. And uh, she is struggling with loss mm-hmm. very badly. And then he is adapting. Well, they just came from a war-torn country. Right. And the, I hear that they it wasn't the swiftest of processes to get uh, into the country. No. And so there will be flashbacks to Sudan, mm-hmm. which layer but the way this guy constructed this is so good because you think oh my god there's like there's a jump scare Mm -hmm. uh when they get in the apartment and i'm like oh and so you (laughs) don't know what's going on and it keeps you off guard like that which i like and then he adapts very well like that you know they as refugees they get some free stuff so he goes to this place and all these guys are hanging out watching a soccer game on TV, and uh, they start be singing the British football, song, right? <laughs> and and they start singing, so and so he feels like, oh, I'm being welcomed, I'm being, this is good, I'm being acclimated to this. Where she doesn't leave the house, and she's clinging to her, you know, her old ways, mm-hmm. and uh, she, it's just, it's a good, it's a good. A character study of these two people, and then things start unraveling in a way that is supernatural, but also connected to their real lives, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so there's more to their real lives ha- having these things happen than you think. Matt Smith. Okay, so first of all, the guy is trying to stop these spirits, so he kind of wrecks up the house as he's doing it. So he goes to the government, Matt Smith, and he says, can we get a different place? These guys need to be in a, an unhaunted house. And Matt Smith and all the coworkers are like, you got one of the best places. What's wrong with you people? So then they go and see it, and they see that he's got all these holes in the wall, mm-hmm. and he's done something, and they're looking he's at him like, like, you just need to see the house. Like, do we need to worry about you people and oh they think that they're the ones destroying the house yeah yeah so they're looking at them very cynical like "Uh Mm uh-oh uh there's no way we're giving you a different place so you got that whole connection so it's very different but i will say it's one of the most original horror movies i've seen it's very well constructed the act it's very haunting and hypnotic and when you do figure out what's happened 
it's like a <gasps> like that. Okay. So uh, I really enjoyed it, and I highly recommend it to everybody. I wouldn't watch it before you went to bed. But <laughs> it's that scary. The apparition, the visuals are very creepy. And it's on Netflix right now. Yes, and it's very gritty, haunting, hypnotic, and harrowing. His house on Netflix. That not. And now we welcome our guest, legendary St. Louis legend casting director, Carrie Houck. Carrie, welcome to the show. Welcome. It's so good to be here, Lynn. What a beautiful day we're finally having. Yes, and Happy ca- fall. Happy <laughs> fall. And I've been telling Carl, the intern here, about how wonderful the Tennessee Williams Festival is every year. And I look so forward to it. And we, uh, you've had to undergo many changes this year. So tell us what's happening this week. Well, sadly, we could not perform in May, as everybody you know knows. Nobody could. And we were about to, re- to start rehearsals. So we... We were approaching 2020 with maybe the possibility of not working at all. So I, last summer, this past summer, I put together a series of Tennessee Williams One Acts to produce for the radio to sort of dip our toes in to see how that would be um, received in the community. And actually, we, we have listeners in Europe. Oh. <laughs> I heard from a friend in France the other day who listened all summer. They were and, wonderful. Um, they were so wonderful. I, I enjoyed yes. them all. You know, there was a learning curve because for all of us, um, I had worked in radio decades ago, but um, many of the actors you were not, smart to get out by the way. Stage, and it's a different technique because you know you have to realize that the audience does not see you and um we 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 learned as we went but i think that we really got into a marvelous groove after doing six uh beautiful productions i think and i made the decision to take our full uh six event festival to the airwaves um this fall so that we could get through the year and say that we were able to get our fifth annual Tennessee Williams Festival under our belt. Well, that's great. So, en avant, tell me about what that means. Well, en avant means move forward. And I, I felt we didn't bring our original programming for from May to the fall uh, because I wanted to sort of skew toward where we are right now. And you know, moving forward through a time of fragility. And I think all the pieces that we've selected for the fall festival reflect that and where Tennessee Williams was in his life when he wrote uh, the pieces or is portrayed in the pieces that we're presenting. I like that you have assembled uh, over the years and I've been to practically everything they've done. I've missed a few here and there. They have such a eclectic group of performers and they make Tennessee Williams's words come alive because people know he's from St. Louis, but there's a whole group of people that are not familiar with his work, especially his early work. And you highlight the roots of St. Louis, how it influenced his work. So the Glass Menagerie, was his first success, and you're bringing it back 
and uh, tell us why you decided to bring it back uh, this time. Well, again, we are focusing on some St. Louis uh, origins this year and which you know we hadn't planned on doing we, we had planned on tennessee williams in italy but again i say we didn't pivot we've pirouetted our, our way through the last eight months but it, you know st louis was a major influence on williams and his years here were a time of fragility for him he moved here from the south from sort of an idyllic atmosphere with his grandparents and um, it, it, he he moved into St. Louis at a time when it was a very industrial city and a dirty city, and he uh, wasn't able to fulfill uh, his his dreams uh, during his years here as he wanted to. He worked at the International Shoe Company. His father pulled him out of school um, at one point to come work at the at the shoe factory, and his sister encountered a lot of emotional distress in her life, which uh, resulted in a lobotomy. Jeremy Lawrence's piece, Tom and Rose, is so beautiful, and it is about Tennessee's relationship with his sister Rose, which was, you know, very loving and very close. And as most people know, uh, Tom and Laura, Tennessee and Rose are portrayed somewhat through his, through his lens in The Glass Menagerie. Um, as is his mother. Uh, so who's playing? Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, who's playing these roles on in the radio production? Well, I could not be more excited about the actors who we've assembled for the festival. Brenda Curran is playing Amanda Wingfield, and Brenda Curran is um, an actor who has uh, become a Tennessee Williams interpreter. She works quite often with the New Orleans Festival and the Provincetown Festival. She has Broadway cred. She was uh, in the film in Cold Blood, Ooh. Uh, which I certainly remember. Yes. <laughs> it haunted me for years. She played, that was her first role. She was discovered at, uh, oh gosh, one of the schools in Kansas. And um, so she was one was of the, cut, she was the Cutter's daughter? She was. Oh, okay. yes. She's been in the world according to Garp, and and she is, um, she really understands Tennessee Williams language. And doing these on the radio, that was so critical that the actors were really able to bring his words to life, just through their voices. Um, we have Bradley Tejeda playing. Uh, Tom and he was in the Lady of Larkspur Lotion with us at I the remember. beginning of the yeah. summer. He does not live in St. Louis. I found him at the Shakespeare Festival in 20, um, 2019. Um, he was in Love Labor, Labor's Lost and I was really taken with his work. So we have become friends and I think he'll be part of the fiber of our company for years to come. Elizabeth Teeter, who uh, is a St. Louis uh, resident. Well, she hadn't been. She was born and raised here. Her well, she wasn't born. Yeah, I guess she was born here. Her parents, uh, Lara Teeter and Kristen Teeter, are dancers. Lara's got a lot of Broadway credits and, and a Tony nomination. To run and the musical theater program at Webster a number of years ago. And she has been in three Broadway plays. 
Yes, she has. And, um, you know, sadly for her, she uh, was not able to open in the place she was had begun rehearsal on. And I'm not at liberty to say what that was. And hopefully she'll get to go back to it. Um, and she was about to start school in New York uh, this fall. But because they went online, she opted to stay in St. Louis for the fall. And, you know, again, sad for her. But boy, lucky for us. She did two of our one acts this summer. Great. Uh, Mr. She... Paradise and um, This Property is Condemned. And I knew she, I told her years ago, she did a reading for me with her dad, uh, actually from Mr. Paradise, I think four years ago at the festival. And I told Lara that evening, I said, your daughter is going to play Lara Wingfield for me one day. And, and here it is. Uh, and boy, again, she was born to play the role. She has and then such, Shauna, she Shauna has, Kingsford is our gentleman culprit. Aha. Uh -huh. She has such yeah. poise at her age and such oh. emotional depth at her age, I yes. think. Yeah. And, you know, she's an utter pro. But, you know, I, I, I you could chalk that up to her years in New York, but I cast her, um, gosh, she was a little girl at the New Jewish Theater. I think she was only about seven, eight, nine years old. And she was a pro then. I mean, I think it's just in her, her bones, in her fiber from her family. Right. She's uh, a natural. Such a great family. And I'm sorry and then, I talked over oh, who ahead. was, who was, who's the gentleman caller? Seanery Kingsford, and he was uh, in the Night of the Iguana in our 2019 festival. Um, Webster Conservatory grad. He is residing in Branson right now on a show there. So we we had our rehearsals via Zoom for all of the plays, as we did all summer. And I purposely chose plays of no more than four people. All the others, either one or two. So that when we recorded, everyone was in their own studio. We were able to, you know, abide by all of the, the rules that we're all living with right now. And I'm going to give a shout out to SAG-AFTRA, our union. Um, we usually work under Actors' Equity on the stage, but because this was radio, we worked with SAG-AFTRA. And, you know, they were just so... Um, gracious in the way you know we handled unknown waters really producing radio plays so and it's, it's available a very good experience it's available on 107.3 the art station in st louis which is also uh yes. knou hd2 on 96.3-2 if you have hd yes, radio and if you don't have a proper radio you can listen to it through radio.com yes um and also will be streaming them for two weeks through november 22nd if you miss the air dates oh okay well and that's then, good because yeah i tended sometimes at five o'clock on saturdays i would be there and then sometimes i wasn't and then i could find them later so i really like that aspect that you don't have to be right in you know i say right in yeah. front of radio but you know in front of your computer at a certain and you time can also well, go to but you know a lot of people are making an evening of it and uh, we have four full evenings of programming starting Thursday, November 5th, and I figure people are going to have election fatigue by then, and <laughs> yeah. it's sort of fun just to sit around as a family or with whatever friends you're, you're with right now and, you know, listen to a play. It's um, 
something that people did a long time ago and uh they're fully produced these are not readings i mean you will feel like you're there with the wingfields we have a play about lorette taylor and who played amanda wingfield uh originally on opening night with a young tennessee williams in her dressing room and uh carrie ely is portraying lorette gorgeously and again bradley tejeva is playing young tennessee we sort of wanted that crossover with the two plays well, Carrie Ely um, is uh, just fabulous, one of the best actresses in St. Louis. Carl, you were yeah. going to say something about the... You can, you can find everything at TWSTL.org. Find everything. Yes, the full schedule. And then again, they're streaming through November 22nd. And also, uh, probably by tomorrow, end of day, we'll have the full program. And it is just like our normal printed program, uh, but it will be online this year. Yeah. Uh-huh. One of my favorite plays that wasn't actually part of the Tennessee Williams Festival, but it was part of the Grand Center Crawl, Theater Crawl, which is always around 4th of July, and I love it, and it didn't get to happen this year. They did a yeah. play that has a local connection. So, Carrie, tell us about that one. Well, yes, we did it at the Theater Crawl, and this year we're doing it on the airwaves. It's called... Um, you lied to me about Centralia. <laughs> and the gentleman caller, the premise is John Guare wrote the play, by the way. He, he's such a great writer. Oh, I love John Guare. He, he imagines what happens when the gentleman caller leaves the Wingfields dinner. And he mentions in the Glass Menagerie he's going to pick up his fiancee, Betty, at the train station on Del Mar. Wow. I used to pick up my Aunt Vi there when she'd come in from Chicago when I was a kid. Anyway, he he goes to pick up Betty, and she's had quite a day visiting her uncle. I'm not going to tell you too much because uh, spoilers. The, yeah, spoiler. but it's so it's, it's such a it's, fun it's, play. It's, I'm sorry. I said it's such a fun play. I encourage everybody to see it this. It's such a fun play. It's short and sweet, and it's part of a. Uh, we're actually the first time we run it. It will be immediately following the Glass Menagerie this um, a week from today. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and then as part of a different double bill, our second weekend. So that again, that full schedule is on the website. We're opening the festival with Ken Page doing a beautiful, Ooh. beautiful, beautiful essay about Tennessee's uh, time with the Mummers Theater Company oh, in okay. St. Louis. And then we follow that with Tom and Rose with Jeremy Lawrence. And then Friday night, Jeremy does another one-man show about uh, Tennessee's relationship with his father, which was very challenging for him. And they're both such glorious pieces. Really, uh, give them a try because they're so interesting. And Jeremy is such a marvelous interpreter of Tennessee. We've had him here a few times. I know, and he's very good. I just think it's really good that you are offering such varied material and that you've made lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing, we put all of our panels, they will be, uh, we did them in Zoom recordings, and there were scholars from all over the country, the best of the best. They will be um, on our put on our website. I guess we won't make that live until Thursday. Uh, and those are going to stay there for a while. And then instead of doing the bus tour this year, we're doing an audio tour 
with beautiful narration and a list of Tennessee Williams sites in St. Louis. Beautiful. So well, it, thank it's you. Festival. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and we will tune in, and we look forward to uh, talking to you more about it as it develops. TWSTL. Thanks. You have a great, wonderful day. It's so beautiful outside. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. You're welcome. TWSTL.org. That's Carrie Hauk. Um, what is her title over at the Shakespeare Festival? She, uh, well, it's at the Tennessee Williams Festival. She is, uh, I'm not sure if she is the executive director or the artistic director, but she has been with this. It's a, been a pet project for at least six years because she thought, why not? Mm-hmm. And, oh, and some this of is easier to do. And once again, best. the plays are The Glass Menagerie, You Lied to Me About Centralia, uh, Glass, which is a different. It's not the glass menagerie, two different ones. And then you have Tom and Rose, and then the man in the overstuffed chair. More information at TWSTL.org. And I love classic 107.3. I listen to it all the time. I love Jim Doyle. Listen to him in the morning. As my wife calls it, the distracting classical music, because my, my daughter and I, I drive her to school, and it calms her down. And Jim Doyle in the morning, just the music is so well done. And it's it's now H. D2, and it's also available on radio.com and also at 107.3. And I listen to it all the time. I love the classical station for St. Louis. And they are so supportive of the arts, which we uh, applaud that. All right, let's get, let's get to something that keeps popping up on my Netflix thing, and I don't know what it is, but you watched My Octopus Teacher. It pops up on Netflix all the time and says, you should watch this. Should I watch this? Yes, you should watch it. It is so surprising. I would not have uh, come. I would not have clicked on this, to be honest with you. Because it keeps popping up and it's a guy diving with an octopus. Had I not been on uh, the, uh, uh, been, you know, I'm a member of the Critics' Choice Association and we're having documentary awards. You're helping to pick out documentaries. No, no. (laughs) <laughs> anyway. But um, anyway, I'm. Uh, we have a documentary awards, and we just came out with our nominations, and uh, because of that, I saw the film. And did it get it, did it get nominated? Yes, it did. Okay, and it's so surprising. This diver, Craig Foster. Craig Foster. Now he's a filmmaker, right? But Pippa Ehrlich and James Reed are the ones that made this film. Right. So was it his idea? This I know this whole idea started 10 years ago. Right. What happened was he dove into... He's always lived near the ocean. This takes place in South Africa. Right. It's a South African film. What's called the Cape of Storms. Okay. And he dives and discovers this small octopus. And he is fascinated by this octopus. And he decides that he's going to do a video diary and he's going to go visit this octopus every day. And <laughs> that's his plan. Yes. And surprisingly, this octopus is okay with this? Yeah. It develops a relationship with the human that is beyond description. I can't really you have to see it. And this octopus, I never paid attention to octopuses. Octopi. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, um, Ursula in The Little Mermaid Mermaid, is about as much as I know. And that's not real. I know. (laughs) So 
all the tentacles and all the ways that it avoids predators mm-hmm. and the way it sustains itself. <clears throat> it's a very antisocial creature. Uh, there are lots of sharks in this area, too. Yes. Pajama Pajama sharks, sharks are, are all which over this. I area. never heard of, and that's the predator that you have to watch out for. So, uh, Craig Foster is fascinated by the daily life of this octopus, and they they do bond. It's really strange, but wonderful, mm-hmm. and. So it progresses, and you don't see every day. And the octopus is a female also. Who will give birth. Oh. Yes. Well, wouldn't it be eggs? Lay eggs. Yeah. Okay. It's very different. (laughs) Okay. They're they're mating. They're mating. Oh, wow. So this should be rated R or X. It is very different. NC-17. Very different. Okay. Okay, so you have Craig Foster's narration. And then you have the underwater. In the South African accent? Yes. Oh, beautiful. So sometimes it's very, a little bit monotonous. But he did get nominated for Best Narration. Okay. And the cinematography is fantastic because it's underwater. Mm-hmm. And and he's do. he's a filmmaker, so he knows how to set up a shot, even though he's got two other people doing it. <laughs> right. And so you're captivated. So it's not every day. You're not watching. Like, it'll jump from, like, maybe 182 to 312 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you're not seeing every single day. You're just seeing the highlights of what happens. It's less than an hour and a half. I know. And it's it's very captivating. You and it's be- been out for two months on Netflix. And it just keeps popping up. And I don't I, I don't know what it is. And I'm glad you're telling me about it. Yeah, because I think more and more people are, are, are finding out. As soon as I saw it a couple of weeks ago, I, I messaged my entire family and friends. And I said, you have to see this. Because... Because I think people have a tendency to think, oh, science, mm-hmm. and they will pass it up because it sounds like, you know, it's oh, schoolwork. Right. Like, oh, my octopus teacher. I guarantee you it's one of the most original and fascinating documentaries you will see. And it was a nice break <laughs> from I have watched so many political documentaries. Mm-hmm. I personally, a news junkie, am tired of them. Okay. <laughs> and, and yeah, because you and Dan and Max and all of our critic friends, you need to watch this documentary. And I said, I know I'm I'm I, I'm watching documentaries for St. Louis International Film Festival. I'm not watch, watching any political documentaries until the election is over. And sorry, Chris, I've stopped watching the ones that are political until the election's over. Then I will watch the rest of them. I mean, I watched nine to five, which was not necessarily political, but it was still political. And I'm like, I need I, you know what? I'm waiting till Tuesday, and then on Tuesday, Wednesday, I will I will get back in, and I will watch all all eight of the documentaries for Sliff. But I I just don't want to watch any more political. I'm po- I'm politicized out, even though I'm on political radio now six days a week. I know. I right. think we need, do need to take a break. However, if you are, this is a political movie that is free right now, so I got to plug it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best of the year. It's by Alex Gibney, who must have done nothing but made documentaries all year because he did Agents of Chaos on Mm -hmm. HBO. Which is another political documentary. He did Kingdom of Silence about the murder of uh, Jamal Jamal Khashoggi, Khashoggi, and that's on Showtime. And he has now done Totally Under Control, which he filmed in secret for five months, and it's about the government bungling of the coronavirus Mm -hmm. pandemic, and it has Dr. Rick Bright, who is considered the whistleblower, and it is free, 
if you go to neonrated.com, because it's by Neon, one of our favorite studios. Yes. And uh, through Election Day. So you can watch it for free, but it is also on Hulu. Okay. So I had to give that plug because free movies, you know, you should support them. But also, this is going to be in the mix at the end of the year when everybody's doing their documentary nominations. I would I would suspect this will be a nomination for the Oscars, but then the Oscar you documentaries are so screwy in terms of their rules, you never know. Right. Well, let's let's since it's Halloween weekend, let's talk about uh a director that I like, but I also don't like some of his movies. <laughs> Memories of a Murder. Oh, my sorry. Memories of Murder by Bong Joon Ho from South Korea, who won the who won Best Director and won Best Picture last year for Parasite. Now he started out his first American breakthrough was Snowpiercer, which I did not care for. I liked. It. Uh, well, I know, and some people do like it, but I I did not care for it, especially as much as I loved Parasite. Let's talk about. Memories of Murder. Well, this is different. It's 17 years old. <laughs> right. This is his second movie in 2003. It is based on a serial killer. It's a, it's a true crime story. Right, in, in Korea. And this was the first serial killer uh, murders in Korea in history. South Korea. Yeah. Because we don't know about what's going on up in Right, North right. Well, no, or nor w- would we know. Right. Okay, and I did look these up. Okay. It took place between 1986 and 1991. Right. Kwe Song is the, the city. Is a city. And it's a small town, and then it's in the Chungji province. Okay. Okay, so. Which is, pronou- which is spelled G-Y-E-O-N-G-G-I. Right. I salute you and your diligence to learn all these pronunciations. Well, but. yes, because there's a lot, you know, you want to get it right. As I mispronounce the word pronunciation. Yeah. Right, go ahead. <laughs> I want to get it right. Well, okay. So, so is, it, is, is it, it's it's not narrative or it's documentary no, style? No, it's narrative. It's narrative, it's, but it's, it's based it's, on a true story. Right, it's based on it, and it's Bong Joon-ho wrote the script with uh Shim Sung Bo. Yes. And uh, it is the reason they have re-released it. It's a remastered version from Neon. Well, it was start- it started out as a play from Kim Kwang Rim. Right. So he gets the story by credit, and then the other two get the screenplay adaptation. Right. And uh, what Bong Joon-ho does here... It's his style emerges. You can see it. So the reason it is uh, like, why are they bringing it back now? I'm sure because of his Oscars. Because of Parasite. We would not know about this. But also, the real serial killer was just caught last year. Oh, it's kind of like the uh, Golden State Killer. Like they did the, the book and then they did the miniseries and then they caught the guy. Right. And then also, who's that guy? Uh, uh, the... The guy that killed his wife that confessed on the HBO's. Uh, oh, on, not The View, the. It was. Uh, that the Jinx. Guy. Yeah, The Jinx, which is unbelievable. And that movie, the fictional movie about all the gifts with Ryan Gosling as the serial killer. That's one of those uh, remarkable uh, underrated gems that people ignored. The Jinx uh, was Robert Durst. Durst, that's it. Robert the Jinx Durst. was Robert Durst. Was just got sentenced. Just got sentenced. Yeah. So getting back to the real case here, um, the first ones are 1986, and it's a small town. And so Bong Joon-ho has constructed this as two inept 
detectives in this small town. They're in way, they, first of all, there's not the forensics, nor they don't have the capabilities of really being on top not of this case. Not in 1986. And so they are bungling, and uh, they are, they are not, this is out of their depth. So Song Kang-ho, who was the dad in Parasite, who's been in most all of Bong Joon-ho's movies. Yeah, he's, well, yeah, he's young, 17 years ago. Yeah, he plays one of the cops, and then Kim Ro-ha plays the other cop, and they torture people. It's very brutal. Very 24-like. Yeah, they torture people. They try to get confessions out of people, and especially this poor developmentally disabled kid. And it's really, sometimes it's really hard to watch. But Bong Joon-ho is making a point about law enforcement going going that's why it's being released now going the wrong way and so the chief they get in trouble because the press learns of their torture and uh, these really bad methods so the chief brings in this hotshot detective from Seoul and his real name is Kim Sang Kyung and he is one of these detectives that is very practical. He convinces them from the get-go that this we're dealing Stop with Stop beating the, people. Well, well, also, he doesn't like that at all. And also, he tells them that this is a serial killer. Ah. So that's when they start putting two and two together, although the other ones are too inept. So he takes over, and so they're jealous of the, oh. of the guy taking over because he's very practical. He knows what's going on. He's doing the, all the right things. But these murders get inside your head like the detectives, and it messes with their psyches. Mm-hmm. And so you see them So it change. becomes a psychological thriller. Right. So you see them change because of the wear and tear. Like they find these young girls and it's they're raped and they're gagged with their own underwear Ew. and and and, th- and then the, the hotshot detective puts together that every time these murders occur it's raining and there's a song played on the radio that's a request okay kind of like play misty for yeah. me <laughs> but it's it's very it's very hypnotic and i use the same words on his house it's very haunting and hypnotic it's very gritty it the last shot is just sticks in your head you'll be thinking about this so this came out 17 years and then the serial killer they caught him murdered nine people they're aware of Mm -hmm. and then he confessed to five more when they caught him for the 1994 murder of his sister-in-law through dna and then he confessed and then they have the dna on the nine but he confessed to five more but they haven't found those people but he is only in jail right now his name is lee chun jay and he is only in jail now for the sister-in-law murder because statute the other ones were statute of limitations. But that happened in 2019, so that's why the movie is coming back. It's on video on demand. It had um, it had a Fathom event for two days, mm-hmm. like two weeks ago. It's one of Quentin Tar- Tarantino's favorite films since he started making movies. It is fascinating. It just grabs you in and the psychological things. And and it's, uh, I'm warning you, it's, 
violent and nasty. Yes. But it's worth watching, especially if you're a fan of police procedural mm-hmm. work and crime dramas. So it's like it's a grittier CSI. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Yep. Well, it's called Memories of Murder, and it's available now. Right. And so we have we had to um, cover quite a few uh, horror, sci-fi, <laughs> thriller, mystery ones now. Now, um, I found out because I have never seen Hocus Pocus, and it's Ugh. been playing everywhere, and Ugh. I know that. And maybe I Ugh. saw it in No, thank you. But it's on Disney Plus right now for those oh, it was, of it's, you. Oh, it was on Freeform for the last month. You don't know. Sorry, I'm not a fan. And you know what they're starting to bring out now that we're done with uh, we're done with Halloween. They're starting to bring out all the Christmas specials. Oh no, uh, Hallmark started doing Christmas movies two weeks ago, and Netflix is getting into it too with the Holiday. Right, Holiday is the number one movie on Netflix right now. Hooray! So, <laughs> so that's what that's what's going on. And and you started to watch The Witches, and then. It didn't happen for you. No, and maybe it was because I was tired. I started, it's on HBO, mm-hmm. and it has a great HBO cast. Max. It's on HBO Max, not on HBO. It's on HBO Max. Right. It has a great cast, and it's from the Roald Dahl book, which mm-hmm. I didn't read, and my kids didn't read it either. But the first part with Octavia Spencer and then a voiceover by Chris Rock, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And then they get to the hotel with the witches who are Anne Hathaway, and then Stanley Tucci's the concierge who's barely in any of the trailers stanley tucci is barely in the what we know about recognizable and there is so over the top i was like you know i just i'm gonna go to bed but our (laughs) but our buddy chris clark from cinema st louis loved it but then again he loved the book right so i think if you're familiar with the book you will like it wasn't there another adaptation previously to that yes there was but I, I didn't see either of them. I, you know what? By the time we meet again, I will probably have watched The Witches. Um, do you want to say anything about Sean Connery? Yeah. Well, 90, that's a good life. And he had dementia for the last several years of his life. His wife had been taking care of him. So we didn't know. And no one knew that. Yeah, no. Nobody knew that at all. And I feel... Um, well, he the last movie he really did was League of, League of Ordinary Gentlemen except for some voiceover work he did here and there. Right. Now, uh, is he your bond? Yeah, he's my bond. Do you think he's... He's the bond. He's the one that set the stage for everything. Right. Nothing nothing against Roger Moore or even Daniel Craig or Pierce Brosnan or Timothy Dalton. Nothing... They're they're playing the... It's... He set all that up. My my wife's favorite, James Bond, is George Lazenby because she loves... On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which everyone would say if Sean Connery or Roger Moore did that movie, it would be considered the best Bond film ever. But since it's George Lazenby's one and done, and then Connery even came back after that for Diamonds Are Forever. But they are saying, many people say, including my wife, that it would, she thinks it's the best Bond film ever. And the ending is just so perfect and sad. But... I do like the other ones. Uh, it's come like I. Um, it depends I like, on which one you grew up on. Yeah, but also I think both movies. Like I thought, Pierce Brosnan was going to be a fantastic Bond, he, and then be, all that because stuff of with, yeah, because of Timothy Dalton. If right. he would have done it when he wanted to do it, if NBC would have let him out of his contract of Remington Steel, there would have never been Timothy Dalton, and he would have gotten to do more movies 
besides right. just starting with Goldeneye. Right, which Goldeneye, I think, is the gold standard of the Pierce Brosnan thing. Mm-hmm. But then the one with Denise Richards as the as the fizzy, uh, the physics, right? Um, sci- you know that science. I was like, oh my god! So there were ridiculous elements to some everyone. Of the one. Yeah, and but, the, but you know, like with the with the. Connery bonds. There were running gags about him and Money Penny and him throwing his hat on the thing, even though he barely wore a hat anywhere. They, they, they're not mentioning from Russia with Love a lot, but you know he did as many as anyone else has done. So right, it's just I think because I think he's he had, just are he and uh, more tied. I think I think they both did the same amount of films. I think he he was the epitome because he was the first one and he was so suave and debonair and then he had that effortless charisma and I think that like you said it set the standard and then but if you go back and you look at some of those films oh they're but just just like all of them but like Skyfall I think is one of the best Bond and Daniel Craig when they did the whole backstory with Casino Royale again mm-hmm. I thought that was so good best but. You know, every one of them has great elements. I did not care for the the uh, lat and Christoph Waltz is a great villain, but mm-hmm. I did not care for him in the last Bond. I just thought that Spectre. that didn't work. Yes. Now Spectre. let's we can also remember he's he's Indiana Jones's father. Oh yes, which people will remember, and that was great. That was a that was a genius bit of casting there, don't you think, Junior? And then he's also, uh, well, don't forget the Highlander films, <laughs> because I thought he was really good in the first two Highlander movies, even though the second film totally reverses the first film, because he's supposed to be, there can only be one, yet there are like 50 Highlanders. Um, and then you also have his Oscar-winning performance in The Untouchables. Which was, I know he beat Albert Brooks in, in broadcast news, but you got to give it to him for The Untouchables. So good. That movie's just so good. And he is really great, and, and he deserved it. One of my favorite little gem that people might not have seen Sean Connery in is called Finding Forrester. Mm-hmm. He plays a professor, and he mentors. I saw that one. And, that's that's uh, the uh, uh, that's where the meme. Uh, you're my dog now. You're my man now, dog. That's that's from that. <laughs> yeah, which I like. And a lot you're, of people you're the like. Ma- you're the man now, dog. That's what it is. What's the one in the name of the ro- the name of the rose? A lot of people like that one. And then what's the one about the king? Oh, uh, when he's with. Uh, Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, yeah. And then and then Robin is that, and Marion is he's with Audrey Hepburn in okay. Robin and Marion, which I liked uh, a lot. And then League of the Gen um Right. But there's a one about the king. Doesn't it have Michael Caine in it? It's one of those one. But I just think and then time The Man Bandits? Who Would Be King? Yeah, the man who would be king. A lot of people because like he's that also one. Fir- he's also King Arthur in first night. Yeah, he's done a lot. He did a Which, lot. He's I'm, 90 years old. I know. I liked First Night. He was a nude model in his 20s before he started acting. And I saw Darby O'Gill before and he was And the little famous. people. Yeah, yeah. That's a Di- Disney classic. I know. And then Time Bandits. He's, yes. Uh, he's the, he's Time Bandits is an ensemble piece, but he is the hero in Time Bandits. And I love that movie. And George and if Harrison you had, produced it. If you had... Uh, if you were in St. Louis and you didn't have cable and you could get Showtime, Time Bandits was on all the time. All the time. Ah, Time Bandits. 
Oh, it's so wonderful because it's so it's so post Python, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just so it's so great. But yeah, all right, rest in peace. Such class, and they don't make them like that anymore. And he's one of the legends. Well, We're losing our legends very easily. Although he hasn't been in a movie for a, a long while. time, right? Yes. Well, if you, I know you probably. I already s- watched it. Okay. So. I watched I watched Mandalorian season two. So. Uh, season well, the first. The, the funny thing is, they're not giving critics access to see them early. They sent me the access when it was already on Disney Plus. So I th- I find that hilarious. I but know. I watched it. I watched it. It's longer than most of the episodes in the first season. The first season were anywhere between thirty and fifty minutes, but they averaged like right around forty. You want this get- one's fifty five minutes long. Oh wow! And it's. There are a lot of Easter eggs in this. There are a lot of Easter eggs in it. I don't want to say anything because, once again, just like the first one, there are surprises in it. And I don't want to – If you, everybody knows about Baby Yoda, but they don't know about the surprises unless they've been spoiled. And I am not going to be the one to spoil season two of The Mandalorian, but I think it is off to a good start. I had an argument with a friend of mine who did not uh, care for it. But I don't think I think on a second watching he's coming around. Giancarlo Esposito was on. I think it was he was on Conan this week. I saw Seth Myers. He is a charming. He is. Movie. I will say he's not in this episode. So they set him up to be the bad guy. He was in a couple episodes at the end of season one. He is not in the premiere of season two because they're on the run from him. He talked about, uh, you know, reading the script the first season and he goes, the child, mm-hmm. the child is or going to be Or as he calls him the asset. Yeah, he said he was going to be everything. How many baby Yodas do you think were out yesterday? Uh, I, well, I, I didn't see any yesterday, but on Friday when my block was doing it, I saw two of them. Uh-huh. So, and the, I really think that one of them did not want to be Yoda or baby Yoda at all. The child did not want to do that. Well, my uh, great nephew Enzo was uh, baby Yoda last year. Ah. So he was ahead of his How could he have been baby Yoda last year when it didn't premiere till well, November? Well, maybe it was just Yoda. His okay. parents, uh, his his mother was uh, Leia, Princess Leia. Oh, so he was And just... his dad was Darth Vader. Okay, I was going to say, because so, that, that was not a thing last year. Because yeah. it didn't debut. Disney Plus has not been around for a year yet. It'll be a year, uh, I want to say November 13th-ish. So, well, he was a baby because he was one He was a, a baby, but he and was Yoda. And then he was Yoda. <laughs> That's funny. So that's for it. And then also streaming is the Sarah Cooper Netflix special. And I didn't know what to expect. It does not have. Okay. So she is the comedian who lip syncs to the president's words. And that got her a Netflix special, which also got her a lot of famous friends. This is a sketch comedy special. She does she does a little bit of the lip syncing thing, but not a lot. In fact, they're saying now she shouldn't do lip syncing anymore because she was better at sketch comedy than she was at the lip syncing. Yeah, this is a parody of a morning show, okay. and she's a morning anchor, and it's and a lot of cameos. Yes, John Hamm, for instance, plays the My Pillow guy, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Lavelle. Yeah, and it's so funny. Well, also, um, it's uh, Natasha Leone. Produced this with, is it Reese Witherspoon or Maya Rudolph or all of them? Yeah, and and uh, Jane Lynch is in it. Jane Lynch plays a cooking, uh, like a like a Martha Stewart character, mm-hmm. and 
Fred Armisen is the producer of the show, and it takes place during the pandemic, and they're trying to make people feel better about the pandemic, and the show is called Everything's Fine. Everything's Fine. And so it has that. But it does have a, a, some humor with the lip-syncing of the a president, and it has a baby Trump. And, oh, yeah. Natasha Leon directed it. And Winona Ryder's in it. And it's it's something that was unexpected. I know. I, I had there's some laugh out loud moments. I was really surprised. And when as soon as I started seeing oh Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. as soon as I started seeing the cameos, I was like, Well, this is gonna be fun. Mm-hmm. Helen Mirren. Yeah. So it's it's just different if you wanna you know, sometimes we need a break from the world. Mm-hmm. And uh that is it. Have you seen Truth Seekers on Amazon? I have not. Because that's the that's the Shaun of the Dead people. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I heard about it, but I, I've not watched it. I've actually been watching The uh, Pale Tourist on Amazon with Jim Gaffigan. I watched the Canadian episode, and I'm going to watch the uh, – what he was originally trying to do, he was going to go to another country and then do an, an entire stand-up special on that country. So we did Canada, and he did one Spanish-speaking country. I'm not sure what it is because I'm not there yet, and I don't want to be spoiled by it. So – they only made two episodes, and then he had to shut down because he's not traveling anymore, and so now he's doing this stuff for uh, CBS Sunday Morning. But they only did two episodes, and it was going to be a thing, and now it's not a thing because, you know, the world is the world. The world is the new normal. The world is the and world. And so uh, speaking of new normal, on this Thursday, the St. Louis International Film Festival starts. I encourage everybody to go to the Cinema St. Louis site. There are so many free things that you yep. can watch, including Ken Quapis is doing a master class on directing that I signed up for November fourteenth. Oh, it's from one to three and it's free. And you get to hear about his adventures directing the office and all these TV shows he helped launch, as well as his uh, his collection of uh, movie comedies, yeah. like Dunstan Chucks In. If you want to find out about working with uh, Jason Alexander and a monkey, you can ask Ken Quapis. Right. And uh, I also, as we're looking ahead, because we know what's coming Tuesday mm-hmm. and we know what people be focused on, Monday night, the SNL election special, if you want to laugh at political skits. And Dave Chappelle is hosting. This is the first time that they've... First, it was the first time that they ever did five episodes in a row. Now it's the first time next week where they did six episodes in a row because they say it's too taxing on their writing staff to do more than three or four episodes, and then they need a break. So this time they're doing six. Dave Chappelle is going to be the host. He was also the host after the election in 2016. Mm. And he said that I'm willing to give Donald Trump a chance if he's willing to give my people a chance. And then he regretted saying that. So... Um, he is hosting again. Well, I think everybody. I'm glad they're going to do an election uh, post election uh, one because I think everybody's looking to them because for the humor and John Mulaney just killed it. Saturday John Mulaney, he not, as my daughter said, he's done a Laguardia ep, uh, comedy bit. He did the uh, diner sushi. He did the Bodega Lobster. lobster. Was it? Or no, do no, I have it backwards. That... Bodega, Bodega Sushi, uh, Diner Lobster, and then last night it was the last night it was the gift shop underpants. 
Yeah, which so. is brilliant. If that doesn't get nominated for a song because they parody all these Broadway show well, tunes. He's now hosted four times in three years because he did it last year, but it was last season. So it's my wife's like, has anybody done it twice in a year? I'm like, yes, they've done it twice in a year, but he technically hasn't done it twice in a year. He did it at the end of last season and then now this season. You can always see his influence on the sketches. Well, he used, he used when to be a writer. He, right. And then he tried out like 44 times, you know, <laughs> stuff. So uh, next Saturday is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction on HBO. So they're going ahead with the, the taped version mm-hmm. of it. So that'll be interesting. And then we look forward to a world that's uh, post- um, Election and, and and we'll get back to the the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and the year end films are going to start yep. coming out. All right. Okay. Thanks, Carl. You have a wonderful week ahead. Oh, Treehouse of Horror is tonight. Is tonight. And Homer is an undecided voter. Yeah. Lynn, where can they find you? They can find me in the Webster Kirkwood Times, uh, in print and online at KTRS. With Ray Hartman every Thursday night about 10.30. And uh, my website is poplifestl.com. I'm work in progress. And here with you, Carl. And then I'm on all the socials. You can find me at underscore Carl the Intern on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on the Max on Movies podcast. And you can hear me all week this week on the Annie Fry Show on 97.1 FM Talk. Talking as little as a, about elections as I can, but it is a political show, so I will be talking all about what's going on in the world. Thank you all for listening. Bye. Stay safe, folks.